Well, let's transition now into uh, the talk this morning. And we have been, as Jen and I reflected at the start of the service, in a series entitled Stand Strong. And uh, Stand Strong has been about the armor of God and how we walk in that. And thank you for all your encouraging emails and messages. I'm so glad it has been blessing you. And um, as way of a recap, the first week that I kicked off this series, I did so looking at the understanding that we need to realize that we are in a battle. So many Christians don't realize that that is the case. You know, Paul wrote in uh, the letter to the church in Ephesus all about the fact that Jesus has saved us and saved us for a purpose as we extend his kingdom, but that we have our part to play as we walk out our salvation in holy living, in right living. What does holiness mean? It means to be set apart for him. And so Paul spends a lot of time around what does Christian living look like? What does it mean to be taken, not, not be of this world? We walk through this world. We're not of this world. And then he gets to the end and he says, therefore, finally, put on the armor of God. And he's doing so because what he's saying is, is our battle is not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers against the devil's schemes. Because the moment you try and you set your face to walk in that which God has for you, the enemy will start having a pop. <laughs> you see, conflict is evidence that we are pushing forward. And so rather than Paul just say, yeah, you guys have got to live like this. Okay, I'm out of here. Paul was so pastorally, he said, okay, listen, at the, at the very end, given I've said everything that I've said, I want to equip you in how you can walk that life and how you can defend yourself, how you can walk forward. And that is the context then of what we've been looking at. And so the past two weeks, we spent two weeks on the first part of our armor, which is the belt of truth. And, um, you know, we also grounded ourselves in the understanding, this is important, that Paul wasn't being random in assigning these metaphors for the armor. Because if we think it was a random reason for a belt and truth, then we won't actually ask the right questions. What are the right questions? Why, why a belt? What does a belt protect you for? Ah, it protects your, gird up your loins, that inner strength, that inner resolve. Okay, I get it. Why truth? Oh, I see, because truth is the thing that protects us, the truth of walking in sincerity, but also the truth of who God is and who we are in him. I get that. And so it's important that we come at this word by saying this is the inspired word of God. This is Holy Spirit breathed. And that nothing is an accident in here. And therefore, that should shape how we approach studying God's word. Because then we ask the questions. And we're going to continue then for with asking the questions as we progress in the armor because we get to the next piece of the armor that we're going to look at. And why don't you turn with me to Ephesians 4, uh, sorry, 6. Um, and we're going to look at what that is. It's going to be on the screen as well. And we're going to get to verse 14. And it's the second part of verse 14 we're going to look at this morning. So this is verse, four, verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And if you missed uh, those two talks, you can catch up uh, on our YouTube um, channel. You can watch those services or indeed on our smartphone device uh, app, sorry, that you can get as well. Stand firm then with the belt of truth. And then he goes on this, with the breastplate of righteousness. And that is what we are going to look at this morning, the breastplate of righteousness. And in the spirit of asking questions, the questions we're going to ask this morning is, why a breastplate? What does a breastplate do? Why is it important? And then secondly, well, what is righteousness? 
and how on earth does righteousness protect us? So that's what we're going to do. Now, I would say that um, hold on tight, because there's a lot of stuff just to cover here, and, uh, and I'm not going to apologize for that this morning, so I want you just to focus as best you're able. We're going to go through a lot of stuff, but my, my, um, uh, what I know is at the end of this, we are going to be better placed to know how we can put on this part of the armor. So let's ask the question, why a breastplate? Uh, anyone want to tell me why we have a breastplate? What part of the body does a breastplate protect? Thank you, Barbie. The heart. The heart. It protects our heart. Now, you know, um, my, my, my middle daughter, Ellie, she uh, loves science, and she recently studied the organs at school. She is um, nine. And she was telling me all about the amazing things that a heart does. And in fact, I googled some things because I thought I would share with you how amazing the heart is. Did you know that your heart will beat around 115,000 times a day? Did you know that? That's a lot. That is over, check this out, two and a half billion times in the average lifetime. Wow. Listen to this one. This blew me away. Your heart pumps about 2,000 gallons of blood every day. Yeah, there's a few whoosh in the room. That's a tanker's worth. Your system of blood vessels, arteries, veins, and capillaries is over 60,000 meters long in here. That's long enough to go around the world more than twice. What? Don't tell me we were an accident. That's, that is, this is amazing. God, you are amazing how you created us. We are no accident. Now, what does the Bible say about the heart? Well, the Bible says a lot about the heart, actually. And Jesus spoke a lot about it, too. And he used it as a metaphor, primarily, for the inner life. If you like, the seat of our physical, um, spiritual, and mental life. You know, the seat at which our actions and uh, our thought patterns and our wills flow from. And think about it. It's true, isn't it? I know that in my own life, both in a positive and a negative way. I know that the outworking of my actions corresponds and are driven by the affections of my heart, to put it like that. For example, I love my beautiful wife, Stephanie. My heart is hers. Well, actually, more specifically, she stole it, quite frankly. But my affections are towards my wife, Steph. And as my heart is her, therefore my actions lean towards her. It is my heart for her that leads me to buy her flowers. No one tells me to buy flowers, but it's because my heart is lent towards her that my actions therefore flow from that. And of course, this works in a negative way as well, doesn't it? For some of us where our heart has been hurt, we respond from that place in anger or bitterness. You know, that phrase, hurting people hurt. From your heart are thought patterns and therefore our behavior comes from. I know that, for example, when my heart is fearful, that I therefore lack the courage oftentimes to say what I know to be right and do that which I know to be truth. We see that, don't we? Now, Proverbs 4, 23 is, I think, one of the best verses that sums this up. And it says this, above all else, now listen, this is interesting, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. 
guard your heart. Isn't that interesting? Well, good news, we've got a breastplate here. And so who is it that is out to attack our heart? Who do we need to guard our heart from? Well, of course, we see that we need to guard it from the enemy, from the devil. And God gives us the armor to do that. You see, the enemy, listen to this. We need to understand this. Knowing that your attitudes and your behaviors flow from your heart will try and get you off course from living the life that God has called us to, from extending God's kingdom in the way he has called us to, from, from making Christ known in word and in deed. The enemy stops us or attempts to stop us by going right at our heart. And so the good news is, is that we are not left defenseless in this. Given the importance of our heart, God provides us a piece of armor, the breastplate for that. Now, what I want to just move on slightly is, is just address the question of, okay, how does he do that? How does the enemy attack our hearts? And I think this is so important. We need to be aware of the devil's schemes. And in fact, you know, Paul says in verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. In other words, the devil has a scheme. And one of the things I find really interesting in this passage is that Paul says that, and you're left, I left reading this saying, okay, great, so what are those schemes, Paul? If you could just bullet point them for me, that would be really helpful. I could print it out and maybe put it on my fridge. But he doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't say what they are. But does he? But does he? <laughs> you see, as you actually understand how a breastplate works and your heart, then you can actually see what those schemes are. Let me explain. When we understood what the belt was, that it protected your inner strength, to gird up your loins. And then when we understood what truth is, we therefore understood what the enemy's attack was to get you with lies and accusations. You see this? See, Paul doesn't need to give us a bullet point list of how the enemy attacks us. If we just spend time in the word and say, okay, Lord, how does that piece of armor work and how should I put it on? And we can have that conversation with the Lord. Then it becomes obvious to us what those schemes are and how we can look out for them. And so it's the same for our heart. And the enemy, therefore, gets us in two ways with our heart, two main ways. And there are others, but I want to focus on these two main ways. And why do I share this? So that we are aware. We are aware. The first one is this. The enemy will try and get us off course by attacking our affections and get our affections towards sin. He will do that. He will move us away from living a holy life, a life set apart from Jesus, by drawing our affections away from the Lord and towards sin. Now it says in 1 John 2.16, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Now when it says the world, it doesn't mean God's physical creation, the earth. What he means, whenever you see this term in the Bible, it means the world system, the evil system. Because we are a fallen world because of sin. Love, sex, and money. Or power, sex, and money. Or whatever those three things are is really what this is talking about. And you see, just as my love, my affection draws me to Steph, so too can the affections 
of my heart draw me towards sin and away from God. And we, we know, and this, is, this shouldn't be like a wake-up call for us. We kind of see that in our life play out, don't we? And we can see this so interestingly play out with Adam and Eve. Let's see how this worked. What did the, the serpent, what did the devil first say to Eve? He attacked her with this. Did God really say? Boom. Goes for the belt of truth. And then what did he go for? But look how good <laughs> the apple is to eat. Bang, right for the heart. Our affections. Isn't that interesting how we see that? And you see, that's how the enemy w- tries to attack us. He'll go for some truth. Did God really say that you shouldn't do this, thus, and so? But look how good it is. It'll be fine. And so the question for us this morning, and I think it's a good question, that we should ask ourselves, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you just show me those areas in my life where my affections are turned towards sin? And I don't have to give you a list of what they are. You know, the Holy Spirit prompts you. He convicts you. He doesn't condemn you. I mean, the enemy will condemn you and get you in more bondage. How can you call yourself a Christian? That's shocking that you do that. And all that happens is we draw back in guilt and shame and we hide ourselves from God just like Adam and Eve did. But you see, the Holy Spirit comes to convict. You don't need to do that. Come on. God's got this. You need to stop that. But through, the, through my power, this is the Holy Spirit speaking, you can stop. You know, it says in the scriptures that it's the love of Jesus that draws us to repentance. It's that same awareness that the prodigal son had of how wonderful his father was that got him stopping what he was doing. And so I want to talk about affection towards sin, not to get you to a place of condemnation that you start beating yourself up. But the good news is that you don't need to stay in that place. The good news is you don't need to stay in that place. And that's what we're going to unpack in a moment in terms of how the breastplate protects us from that. And we're going to look at that in a sec. But before we do so, what's the other way in which the enemy will attack our heart? He will attack it in this way. He will drive us to have a hardness towards others and God through offense. This is one of his main tactics. He normally gets the body of Christ through offense. And it can be so subtle because it comes in the guise of false righteousness. Well, I'm right and they're not. So, you know what? I'm going to wait for them to apologize to me first. I'm going to, you know what? I've made my point clear. If they want to speak to me about it, that's fine. But I've done what I've done. And then that can lead to bitterness. Well, I can't believe they didn't come back to me. It's been a week now. I can't believe those guys, honestly. I've been there. And the enemies, yeah, that's so bad towards you. They should have done that. It gets us in our heart. It gets hard towards others. Offense, you know what? I am so acutely aware of this one in my own walk. Like, Lord, just would there be no hardness in my heart towards others? Would I be as you, Jesus? Would I see, would I see them how you see them, Lord? That's a great place to be, by the way. If you're ever in that place of offense and hardness, say, Lord, would you just show me how you see them? And you know what the answer typically will be? Wow, that just as broken as I am. <laughs> and oftentimes God will show you where you're at. You know, look at the own speck in your eye before you go and look at somebody else. But the enemy gets us in our heart. He goes for that heart. 
You know, it says in Ephesians 4.23, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Or Ephesians 4, it goes on, Paul, in this very context around the armor of God. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You know, we forgive others because Christ first forgave us. We love others because Christ first loved us. But the enemy doesn't want that. And so he goes for our heart. So our heart, therefore, can be attacked in those two main ways. And maybe as I've been speaking, the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you about areas where the enemy's got you. And this is an opportunity to say, Lord, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me? Would you cleanse my heart, Lord? But that moves me on to um, the second part, if you like, having established that a breastplate protects our heart and the importance of our heart and how the enemy gets us in the heart. Then we get to the good news. Lest you align there thinking, oh boy, is there any hope? Good news there is. Because the breastplate of righteousness is a thing that protects our heart. So in order for us to understand how this works, we have to ask the question, what is righteousness? That's a good question. Thank you for asking. What is righteousness? Well, let me try and sum it up with that. This Essentially, it is right living. But more specifically, it is right living against the standard of God himself. If you want a definition of righteousness, there it is. It's right living to the standard of God himself. You know, one, um, one uh, commentator put it like this. Because we know that God is righteous. And he says this, all God does is in harmony with his character. The very character of God is the ultimate standard of righteousness. That makes sense? And so we are called to be righteous just as God is righteous. Now, we have a problem with this. Because in, our, in and of ourselves, we are not and we cannot. Therein lies the possible problem. You know, before Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they walked in right living. They were righteous. But sin came in and they acted contrary to God's law, contrary to God. And what happened? They became unrighteous. Sin came into the world. And what was the result? They could no longer stay in God's presence. They died spiritually and were cast out of the God, not able to be in the presence of God. And ever since, you see, humankind, mankind has been born into this sinful nature. And it says, through one man, sin has come into the world. We see this in Romans 5. Let me just uh, read this to you. Romans 5, verse 12. Sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all have sinned. You know, we are, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Now, this is a really important point to make because you won't get the good news of Jesus unless you fully understand the fact that we are sinners in need of saving. You see, we can attain righteousness not because of what we do, but because of Jesus. Because Paul goes on to say this in verse 17 of Romans 5. For if by the trespass of the one man, Adam, 
death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive, listen, God's abundant provision of grace and, listen, the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Do I get an amen in the room and at home? Amen. And that's what, as we head into this Passion Week, why did Jesus die on the cross? Because we are sinners in need to be saved. That is at the heart of the good news. And you see, we cannot see how bright and how good that good news is if we do not realize how dark and how much bad news it is without him. A false gospel that will not talk about sin and just talk about live your best life and that's it. There is weakness in that message. And when you get to struggles and toughness in your life, you're like, what's the point? I thought I was supposed to sign up for a good life. That's the damage of, the, of this false gospel that is so prevalent out there. Yes, God wants you to walk in his blessings. Yes, he's got amazing plans and purposes for you. Absolutely. As we walk in that which he has for you, purchased by the blood of Jesus, in order that we can be righteous and have restored relationship with the Father in heaven. That's the gospel message. That's why we celebrate this Easter time. And so the breastplate of righteousness is not one that we fashion for ourselves. It is the righteousness of Jesus given to us to put on. In other words, as Paul says elsewhere in the scriptures, we put on Jesus. And I said that at the start of this series, you know, it's not a contradiction. Paul wasn't saying, do we put on Jesus or do we put on the armor of God? No, they're the same thing. We put on the truth of Jesus, his truth. We put on his righteousness, we put on his gospel of peace on the sand, his helmet of salvation. So how does it work? Let me try and bring this home for us here. Because I know we've covered a lot of ground, so thank you for staying with me. If the heart is under attack from the enemy to draw our affections towards sin and to harden our hearts towards God and man, then how does the righteousness of Jesus protect us? Let me give you two reasons. And this is the good news of the gospel. This is why we celebrate at Easter. Number one, we receive a new heart when we accept Jesus. Once we accept Jesus as our savior, we get a brand new heart and our affections are turned towards him through and by his great love for us. Now, it doesn't mean that we never fail or falter, but it means that our center of gravity, listen, has shifted from the world and from a me-centered universe to Jesus and him. That our affections now lean towards Jesus. That actually as we progress in what is called sanctification, which is a technical term for that we become more like Jesus as we walk out this journey, that more and more our affections are lean towards him. That yes, while temptation is there, actually we find as we, as, we, as we walk with Jesus, we have more victories and more victories in our lives. That the, the allure of, of sin, which once grabbed us so much, is not there anymore. Yes, we fail sometimes. Yes, I fall sometimes. None of us are perfect. But what we do find is that after whatever that sin is, we, we are aware of it and actually it has a bad taste in our mouth. Because all of a sudden our affections are his. Because the Lord has given us a new heart. And so, therefore, when we put on the breastplate of righteousness, it means cultivating that relationship. 
recognizing that new heart that is leaned towards Jesus. And we see that in a marriage context, don't we? What happens when we, you know, we get married, when I got married to Steph, I wasn't, okay, great, I'm married now, I'm going to go off and do what I want to do. Because over time, what happens with that relationship, that covenant relationship I have with my wife? Well, my heart just gets hardened towards her. It doesn't mean that I'm still not a husband, but actually my outworking of that changes. And that's, that's it with Jesus, you see. We have to walk out this relationship with him. We have to cultivate this relationship. You know, it says in Colossians 3, 2, Paul wrote this to the church in Colossus. Set your affections, our heart, on things above, not on things on earth. In other words, we need to be setting our eyes on Jesus. At the start of the, this year, we were in the first series, and it was all about how we put Jesus first in our life, how we seek him first for our peace, for our protection, for our provision, and for our purpose. It's about cultivating a lifestyle where we set our hearts and fix our eyes on Jesus. And as you do, you see, you put on that breastplate. You know, isn't it interesting that Paul says to Christians in this letter, put on the breastplate. In other words, don't think it's automatically put on. You have your part to play to put it on. Yes, God has provided the armor for you, but you have your part to play. You need to put it on. And in this context, it means to set our affections upon Jesus, to spend time in his presence, to spend time in his word, to spend time listening to him, to spend time worshiping him. And as you do that, that breastplate of righteousness goes right here. And when the enemy tries to get you and draw your affections towards sin, you're like, no, it just doesn't interest me. And I have found that in my life, genuinely. That those things that were once attractive to me are, not, are no longer attractive. I would just rather spend time with my Jesus. So that's the first thing. We receive a new heart. But here's the second thing. We receive the Holy Spirit. You see, once we accept Jesus as our Savior, we receive not just a new heart, but we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which works in our lives to cause us, listen, to walk out that righteous life that has been given to us. Say, Lord, how can I do this, Lord? I've sent, your, I've sent my, my Spirit to help you and to guide you. As our heart is his, the Holy Spirit in us causes us to grow in right living, to seek, to please him. God doesn't leave us on our own. He has gifted us with the Holy Spirit that enables us, as we make a decision and a choice to walk out in a righteous way, the Holy Spirit will help us. Isn't that good news? Isn't that a wonderful isn't that the heart of the gospel message? That Jesus died on the cross for each one of us so that we may have relationship with a Father that loves us. And I want to end with this. I realize that was a lot. I hope you're blessed by that. As way of a recap, you know, the heart is the seat of all that we do. We need, and the enemy is going to go right at it. As we make a decision to walk out the life that God has called us to, we need to recognize we're in a battle. But the good news is, is that we can put on that breastplate of righteousness, that not of righteousness of ourselves. This is not a, right, Mark's not going to just give you all this burden of, right, you better be good and do good. It's about, did you know that Jesus was perfect? And it's his righteousness that is given to you. Just as our sin was given to Christ, he became sin for us. And he bore the wrath of God on our behalf so that when God looks at us, 
The divine exchange was that we have the righteousness of Christ. That is just, I'm just so thankful to God. I mean, just, hallelujah. And I am with this then. We're on Palm Sunday, aren't we? And we read, don't we, in Matthew 21, the most amazing occurrence, the most amazing thing where Jesus is coming to Jerusalem and the crowd shout, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? I want to say to you this morning, if you're watching me and you've never said yes to Jesus and you're saying, who is this Jesus? I want to say Jesus loves you. If you were the only person here, God would still send his son to die for you. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son for you. And if that's you, how do you respond to this word? You say, Lord, I recognize I need you. Actually, I recognize that I'm in need of a savior, that I can't do this life on my own. If that's you, how do you respond? You just say, Lord, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me, Lord? I repent of that life I once led and I turn towards you. That's what repentance is. And confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. It is not by works. You do not need to do anything to be saved other than believe on Jesus. As it says in Ephesians, we are saved by faith, by grace, through faith in Jesus. And so if you've just said yes to Jesus and you've accepted him as your savior, I want to just, and put your hand up in the chat. One of the team would love to pray with you. I want to celebrate with you. You've just embarked on an amazing journey and eternity with him. But then it goes on in the scriptures and says this, and then the whole city was stirred. Who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus. You know, for those of you who have been walking with the Lord for a long time, is the Lord prompting you to say, listen, this is a season where you need to let me fully into your heart. There are areas in your heart which you haven't let me enter in. Could this Palm Sunday be the Sunday that you say, Hosanna in the highest. Lord, would you come fully into my life and would you help me walk that which you've called me to do? And with that, I'm going to ask you all to stand and I'm going to pray now. Thank you, Lord. Oh, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. The good news of you, Jesus. That this message is not a message of works. This is not a message of be better, do better. But a message of making a decision to walk in all that you have already purchased for us on the cross. Lord Jesus, I pray for my own heart. Would you protect it? Forgive me where my affections have turned against and away from you. Towards other things that I know are wrong. Lord, forgive me where my heart has been hardened towards others, Lord, through unforgiveness. Oh God, would you come now and just cleanse me from that. And indeed, if that's you and you resonate with that, why don't you just pray that prayer for yourself? And upon that, I just pray, Lord, you just bless whoever has responded to that. Come with your peace. Come, Lord Jesus. And I pray specifically, I feel led to pray on this. If, the, if you are in a situation where there are issues with relationships, through unforgiveness, on whoever side, I just pray for restoration of relationships now. Lord, I pray that you would come and bring, and bring restoration, Lord Jesus. Reconciliation. 
Come, Lord Jesus.